Okay, so today's topic is called the spirituality of boundaries. And how this came up is that I'm currently teaching a class on boundaries. And last week's talk kind of brought this to the forefront where I was talking about us being at enlightenment already, but having an overlay of our current experience. So I wanted to go a little bit more into this. Um, I'm sure you've heard that everything is an illusion. I'm sure you've heard that all is one. Do you know what that means or have you ever experienced that in your body? So I'll share an experience I had several years ago that gave me a little bit of insight into what this possibly is or means. I was living in New York at the time and I walked out of the store onto the street and I had a very strange shift in perception where at the at that time, it seemed as if everything to my left was the past and everything to my right was the future. And I felt very blissful and like beyond orgasmic. Like I felt the molecules of love that created everything and I felt limitless. And I could feel this like melting into everything. And it was definitely, whoa. And somehow my body was moving forward. So I just kept walking forward, even though I was having this experience. And I walked into the street and to my left, a truck was coming towards me. And all I can say at this moment was like, I was in love with the truck. Like I was in love with the truck. It was coming towards me. It just felt like molecules of love in the form of a truck. And I was like, my arms were open and I was about to hug the truck because there was no sense of differentiation. Like there's no difference between me and the truck. Everything was love. I was love, everything around me was love and the truck was going to hug me. And then something in me like snapped and said, that is a truck. You're going to die if you didn't get out of the way. And some part of me just like snapped out of the experience, like ran out of there. And that's what ended that experience. And some part of me was very upset because I really liked that experience. If I could just live like that for the rest of my life, it would be very, very nice. But also, as you could see, it was a very dangerous experience because I didn't sense any kind of separation between me and other. Like I couldn't tell that the truck was going to kill me if I stood there trying to hug it, you know? And so to me, this experience for me personally illustrates the necessity of ego like why you need to have this will to survive, why no one wants to die. And a lot of times also, especially in Eastern philosophy would point to ego as the problem, you know, like ego is the problem. And if we were to heal or grow or whatever, we like lessen the ego. But there I was completely egoless, like absolutely zero ego and I was going to die. And so there's this tension, right? There's almost like a conflict. How much ego do you need to like literally survive and how much ego is too, too much ego? So um, I think this is interesting. So to me, how I view things and you know, you don't have to agree with anything I say, please take it or leave it. I personally think that we're at Nirvana already. We're already everything already. And instead we're having like an overlay experience on top of the oneness of everything. We already know the oneness of everything. We're, we already know that. So what we're doing is having a temporary, illusory experience of being, in quotation marks, separate 
when in fact we know that we're not. It really feels real, right? Like it feels like we're different people. We can touch our skin and we feel separate from like the tree outside. And it seems like you have your thoughts and I have my thoughts, but somewhere, somewhere it's an illusion. It doesn't feel like that, but some, maybe some part of us gets that or something like that. To me, it's very similar to your being, let's say a planet, let's say you're Saturn or Mars or something like this. Um, if you are that big, do you know what it feels like to be a human? Or are you just too big? So then maybe you have to come down to earth and be a human in order to feel like what it feels like to be a human. So if you're Saturn or Mars, that's pretty much the definition of a God. So if you're on earth having a human experience, to me, that's the definition of being an avatar. So some of us are doing something like this. Another way to look at this is let's just, let's just pretend that you are you. Let's just pretend that you are a human and that's normal or whatever. And for whatever reason, you really wanna know what it feels like to be an amoeba. You really wanna have like amoeba friends. You wanna have an amoeba experience. You want to be an amoeba. Then you can incarnate into being an amoeba, but then you have to forget that you were a human, right? Like you have to forget what came before because if you keep your humanness with you, you can't commit to the amoeba experience. And so I think this is why most of us forget. We don't remember what it feels like to be connected to everything else. Because if we did, then we wouldn't be able to commit to the human experience. If we remembered that we were a planet, we couldn't commit to this kind of experience. And to me, the human experience is very akin to the ultimate game of one. So if you are really good at chess, for example, like really good at chess and no one on earth can be an appropriate opponent for you, then all you can do is play chess against yourself. But if you remember all your strategies as you're playing against yourself, it's not fun because you're like 10 steps ahead of yourself on both sides. So there's some part of you that needs to split and forget. So let's say you have the capability of forgetting. You just forget that you're your own opponent. And so now you're playing really hardcore against yourself, like really hardcore. And the more you forget, the better you can play a good game of chess. Does that make sense? Another way to look at this is tennis. Uh, some of you might play racket sports and you know that if someone's even slightly not as uh, at your level, it really kills your game to play against someone like that, you really have to play against someone at your level or higher. So let's say you're the best tennis player in the world. And if you play with anyone else on earth, you're, you're gonna have a bad game. So in order to have a good game, you have to split. You're gonna play against yourself. And with something like tennis, it's very, very clear that there needs to be a separate person on the other side of the court in order to hit the ball back to you. Um, if there were no rules. Let's say the court didn't exist. There were no lines on the ground. Would that be a good game? The clarity of the lines on the court gives you something to play with. The ball is in. The ball is out. Someone gains a point. Someone loses a point. There's clearly a winner. There's something to build towards or there's stakes you can lose. So you have to have some kind of line. You can say it's almost arbitrary, but 
if we're going to make up tennis from scratch, most likely we're not going to say, okay, the court is going to be the size of the whole country. That's a bad premise, you know, like that's not a good tennis game. Similarly, we're not going to say the court is the size of someone's dinner plate. That is also not a good game. It needs to be big enough so you can actually play tennis and hit the ball back and forth, but it needs to be small enough that it's easy to hit the ball out of bounds. It needs to be small enough so you can lose a point easily also. There has to be some kind of danger. So here are the boundaries for tennis. And you can say they're somewhat arbitrary, but you can see there's some kind of sense behind the size of the court, right? So let's say you're the best tennis player in the world. You're playing tennis against yourself. In order to play tennis against yourself, you have to split. And when you split, then you can play really, really hard. Then you can play your hardest and really try to win. And the other person can hit back and try their hardest and really try to win. If you're playing against like a four-year-old, you just can't do that. You need someone to like match you, right? To me, this is to me the beginning of good and evil. You need an opponent. You need an opponent that like really wants to bring you down. And the harder they play, the harder you can play. So back to boundaries. So if we're at enlightenment already, and let's just say enlightenment is very close to boundarylessness, very close to one with everything, very close to everything is love and everything is okay and everything is happening at all the time, all the time. So nothing matters and everything matters, like everything is everything. Why would we even do this? Why would we even have this human experience? I would say that the human experience is predicated upon limits. It's predicated upon feeling bad about yourself. It's predicated upon having some kind of trauma that you have to heal from. Because if we didn't have that, then it, there would be no conflict and life would be boring. So let me unpack that for a second. Another way to look at boundaries, like your personal boundaries are your personal limits. Like what makes you you and makes, what makes you not you. One boundary is like your skin, it's your physical limit. But another boundary might be more etheric, like it could be your online presence. Another boundary might be uh, your belief system. So for example, if you are a hardcore Mormon, like that's your religion and you believe that that is true, you probably think that's good. You think that's good. Um, and it helps you define you. So if anyone were to argue against you and say Mormonism is not true, paganism is true, you'd probably not like that. It would go against your boundaries and you'd probably think of that as evil. So in many ways, evil is that which tries to break your own boundaries down or violates your own boundaries. And it starts to disintegrate your sense of you, whatever that is. So as you can see, there's no true good and no true evil. It's always relative. And good seems to be the idea of you lengthening the idea of you, whether it is living longer physically like you have a long, healthy life, that's good. 
or if you are cheering for one tennis player and they're winning a lot of points, you're like, that's good, you know, or your you know, football team wins, you feel like that's good. But that's just because you decided to put your allegiance with or your consciousness is in alignment with the idea of something. And that idea of something seems to have some kind of meaning for you. And you can see how with boundaries being a little bit arbitrary in some kind of way, for example, the tennis court boundaries being a little bit arbitrary, but at some point we just have to say, this is in, this is out, this is the international line that we all, you know, every tennis court all around the world is gonna have the exact same dimensions. We just decide upon that. Then it's kind of set. You can see it a different way. You know, if you have something very holy and sacred in your house and I come visit your house and you say, hey, this altar is very holy and sacred to me and my family. Please treat it a certain way. Please don't put your coffee cup on it, you know, this kind of thing. Uh, please don't put your shoes on top of it, right? And I go, oh yeah, definitely. I completely honor and respect your family's holy thing. I will do what you say. Me honoring your boundaries, which was arbitrary to your family, you can say, no other family has the exact same thing. Uh, me honoring your boundaries helps you reinforce the meaning of the sacredness of that holy altar. Whereas if I go, oh, well, I don't understand you. Uh, I'm going to put my coffee cup here. I'm going to put my shoes on top of your altar. You're going to be horrified. You're going to see that as evil because I broke the meaning or the sacredness of that boundary you had created for yourself. Does this make sense so far? Okay. So in terms of personal boundaries, when other people respect your personal boundaries, if, if you say, hey, could you please take off your shoes before you come into my house? And I do that. I'm respecting your boundaries and I'm giving more meaning to the idea of you. Whereas if you say, please take off your shoes before coming to my house and I go, well, in my house, we don't take off our shoes. So I'm gonna do it that way. And I just walk with my shoes all over your house. I'm disrespecting your, your boundaries. And in some ways I'm like disintegrating the meaning of you. I'm saying you don't matter. The idea of you doesn't matter. Does this make sense? So if someone wants to give you a gift, for example, and they give you a gift that helps you feel good about yourself, most likely they're attuned to you Think about a gift that you would like, kind of almost like read your mind and then give you the gift that you would really, really like. And that helps reinforce your meaning. So boundaries just give us something to work with. It just gives us something to work with. In our boundaries feels good. Not in our boundaries feels bad. And to me, this is the basis of a human experience. Because if you are truly more like Saturn or Mars, you're like a God here on earth. When you're a God, like nothing feels good, nothing feels bad, you just are. Or when you're completely on the other side, which you could argue, maybe I had a momentary experience of that when I wanted to hug the truck. Nothing is good, nothing is bad. It's all is, it all is, and it's all in quotation marks, love. It's all okay, you can say. So, if you wanna have a human experience, I'm gonna go back to my premise, then you need to have limitation. You need to have some kind of suffering. You need to have some kind of tension. You need to have some kind of somewhat arbitrary line so that it can be in or out. And this is the beginning 
of our experience or our game. Without the line, there's no tennis, right? And the more people respect that line, the more we really truly have tennis. Let's say we're playing tennis and there are lines on the ground and I hit the ball out and you and I agree it's out, but we don't care. So like we both go, let's just count that as in, right? Are we playing tennis? We just destroyed tennis. There's no more tennis. And that's the whole point. That's why we have something like boundaries in our lives. We have personal boundaries and we have these like exterior boundaries. Uh, for example, if there's a bus schedule and the bus is supposed to come, let's say once every hour and the bus always comes once every hour, like always without fail to, to the second. And every single person who needs to make that bus on time always makes it on time. And they have no problems making it on time. Like it's easy for them. So everyone makes the bus on time. The bus leaves every hour and there's no conflict. There's no issue. If this happened day after day after day, I think your life would be very, very boring and you'd probably just want to die. But if you're that one person who can never make the bus on time, it's really, really hard for you you know, and you have to like rush to like get there. And sometimes you miss the bus and you're late for work. And sometimes you're on time for the bus and it feels like a victory. Now this gives you something to work with. You have something to have conflict with. Another way to look at it is uh, all the droplets of ocean in the water or all the droplets of water in the ocean. It's all just kind of like one, right? Like all the droplets together just kind of come together and become this one ocean. What if one droplet goes, no, I'm separate. I'm separate from you guys all. I'm separate, like respect my boundary. You can see that there's like, a, there, there, there's some kind of tension there. There's some kind of like, like literal physical tension over there. And that tension needs to be held in order for that droplet to be separate. Is it truly separate? Kind of not really, right? Um, it's as separate as it wants to be separate. And that is what we're experiencing here, I would argue. We're separate and we're kind of not really separate. There's tension, there's conflict. This is the human experience. To me, it's very delicious. Um, there's this idea, I think, that people think that there's some kind of perfection and perfection is everyone's within their boundaries. There's no conflict and there's only good feelings. I think a lot of people think that that's perfection. If I had the perfect relationship, there's no conflict, everyone's within their boundaries and there's no bad feelings. I would say that's quite boring. That's like everyone, like the bus is always on time and the bus and everyone makes it to the bus on time. There's no conflict, you know. Um, to me, conflict is perfection. Being in and out, in and out of your boundaries, that is perfection. You know, a really good tennis match is like one person wins a, a point, the other person wins a point, one other person wins a point, another person wins a point. It's like building up. Oh my God, who's going to win? It's like neck and neck. Holy crap. You know, like that, that's a good tennis game. We like that. We don't like it if someone's just killing the other person because the skill level is too different. We don't like that. We like it when as there's as much conflict as possible. So I'll give another example. <laughs> Uh, if there were two brothers and they love each other to death, that's fine. But then there's a woman and they both like that woman. Now there's conflict, right? Now the brothers who were pretty much on the same team, now they become each other's enemy. You know, 
who's the woman going to pick? In some ways, she's the enemy to their relationship. She's in quotation marks, almost like evil to the brotherly relationship because the brothers being attuned to her makes them less attuned to each other. So let's say both brothers love each other and they both love this woman. And this woman kind of needs to choose or something like this. To me, this is a very delicious story. Why? Because there's external conflict, you know? Like the, the, joint, the bond of the brothers is threatened by their love of this woman. And yet you can see that the love of this woman is a really good prize to have. Let's say the woman gets betrothed to the older brother. Okay, he wins. But deep down inside, she's in love with the younger brother. Now this is a really good story because there's external conflict and there's internal conflict. I think this is great. And I think this is why most people have a really hard time even feeling their own boundaries. Because that gives us this element of internal conflict. And that makes us have an even more human experience. So if this woman is betrothed to the older brother, but secretly is in love with the younger brother, let's say she's so afraid of the aspect of herself that's secretly in love with the younger brother, she won't even admit it to herself. She denies it. Now it's in her shadow, right? Because that idea destroys the betrothal to the older brother. So to her, it's evil. So she puts it into her shadow and in her consciousness, she goes, I'm in love with the older brother. You know, he's the one for me. Now she starts to lie to herself. Again, this is another kind of good and evil or like ego and shadow. To me, this is the most delicious way that we could live. We have internal conflict and external conflict. Everyone's losing and everyone's winning. There's no, in quotation marks, old school style perfection. There's only my definition of perfection, which is always conflict all the time. Um, I'll pause there and, and see if how this is landing and ask, ask for questions because I feel as if um, I can go on and on with examples, <laughs> uh, but I'll, I just want to go a little bit deeper. So can I ask a question? Of course. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Um, it's very interesting, the whole theory. And um, can you say again, you know, like your old school, your perception of perfection, you know, like this conflict that you mentioned in the last uh, example. Yeah, it's very interesting that you see this like high level um, conflict as, as a perfection. You mean a perfection of a human being. That's why we're here to actually face to these high level conflicts. Is that yes. correct? Yes, you're totally correct. So okay. yeah, maybe I'll just repeat that back to you with a few more words. Um, okay, so the ego prefers good experiences. The ego prefers good feelings and the ego prefers more of itself or more life. So uh, in terms of the good experiences or good feelings, I don't even think I have to go into that. I think we all get that on some kind of fundamental level. 
but the ego prefers more of itself. That's the Mormon wanting every other person on earth to become a Mormon. You know, that, that is the Mormon raising their children to be Mormons or the pagan. If they are like this, not all pagans are like this, but like um, the pagan wanting everyone else in the world to be pagan or wanting their own children to be pagan more of itself. So the ego wants more of itself or it wants more life. And I think this is also very understandable, just like, you know, my ego is what got me out of that truck hugging situation. Um, it, it, it allowed me to continue having a, a human experience. And so your ego uh, just makes you want to live <laughs> and, and, and thinks, of, thinks of you as a separate thing because the aspect of me that didn't feel me as separate from the truck didn't care what happened. It actually wanted to hug. It wanted to smush together in love molecules, you know? And so your ego seriously keeps you alive, physically alive, and uh, allows you to have this human experience. And remember the human experience is limited. So, um, because otherwise you already know what it feels to be this all expansive everything. You already know what it feels like to just be a bunch of love molecules smushing around with other love molecules with no sense of time, with no sense of right or wrong, no sense of lines and conflict and linearity, just like love molecules swimming around. You're that droplet in the ocean. That's one with all the other droplets of the ocean, not wanting to feel separate, not needing, oh, I'm separate from you guys now, you know? So the, the necessity of the human experience is that tension. Like I'm separate from you guys now. I'm the water droplet in the ocean that decided I'm separate. That is ego. And so with ego, it's very easy to have threats to your life. It's very easy to have threats to the continuation of yourself. The Mormon is a threat to the pagan. The pagan is a threat to the Mormon. And that's basically what we need to have your opponent on the other side of your tennis match, you know? There's no tennis match without that. There, you need someone just matching you just as much. Their will to survive, their need to extend themselves needs to be just as strong as your own. And another way to see this is, let's say I'm playing tennis against an opponent and I'm really bad at my own boundaries. And therefore, I don't know what my boundaries are in real life. So we're playing tennis and therefore, in quotation marks, I don't know where the lines are on my side of the court. Like, I'm not sure. So we're playing, playing tennis and the, the, the opponent hits the ball. I'm not able to like hit, hit it back. And I literally can't tell was it inbounds or out of bounds? I don't know, because I have poor boundaries. That means I would translate that to meaning you. I have weak mental energy about what my reality should be. That's how I would translate that. So my opponent can take advantage of that and say, well, that was, that was inbounds. You didn't hit it back. I got the point. If they want to take advantage of that. If they had integrity, however, they could say, oh, that was out of bounds, it's your point. It's up to them. But if I have no idea what my boundaries are, I'm giving my power away to the other person, you see, and their 
lack of integrity and wanting to take advantage of me, or they're having integrity basically determines my experience of life. But I'm screwed either way because I gave my power away to the other person and I'm at their mercy. And that person, as long as they have stronger mental energy than me, meaning they have more of an idea of what their reality should be, in quotation marks, then they can just go around eating energy points off of me. And you can see this in real life. People with stronger mental energy who know what their reality should be can take advantage of or take care of the people around them who have weak mental energy, who don't know what their boundaries are. And so this is a very strong argument for knowing what your boundaries are and defending them with your life. You know, if I go, no, that was out of bounds. That was totally out of bounds. And the person like, no, I think that was in bounds. It was out of bounds. And I know it was out of bounds. Stop trying to like trick me. You lose the point. I'm serving again. You know, like I can do that. But a lot of people have difficulty doing that. Um, and back to the whole thing uh, where you're asking, like, so are you saying conflict is perfection? I would say yes, because we don't have meaning without story. This is an argument of mine. Of course, you don't have to agree with that. But my uh, theory is that we don't, humans, humans don't have meaning without story. So if I give you this product and I go, hey, do you want to buy this product? And you go, yeah, sure, it looks pretty. But if I go, hey, do you want to buy this product? It's made from the last woman alive of a very ancient culture. It's hidden from the Western world. It's impossible to go find her. You have to go trekking for three days and she has to um, allow you in or out of the boundary line of her, her tribal lands based on if she thinks you're worthy or not. And uh, it was my whole life school to get there. And she gave me this one gift of this one thing. And she said, uh, give it to the person who, who needs it the most. I think you need it the most. Do you want it? You know, like that has a story, you know, that now this item has meaning. It has in quotation marks, more value and the value and the meaning came from the story. And stories are not stories without conflict. So if it was easy for me to reach this lady, oh, she lives in New York City. She has like a million of these. She gives them out for free, you know? That's not a story. But like, she lives deep in the forest. You know, she's the last one of her tribe. It was really hard for me to get there. You know, I had to pass all these tests to be able to contact her. That's a story. Uh, same with the two brothers and the woman. Let's say I say, that. let's say there's a new story. There are two brothers, they love each other. Then they die. Is that a story, <laughs> you know? We don't like that story, but when there's that woman, who does the brother choose? Does, you know, do, do they choose the brotherhood? Do they choose the woman? Does the woman choose the older brother? Does she choose the younger brother? And you can see that there's good and evil in all of this. Like, let's just go back to the woman for a second. If she's betrothed to the older brother and thinks that's good, that's the ego, remember? That's the, I'm a Mormon, pagans are bad. That's back to that idea. So the older brother, I'm betrothed to him, that's good. The ego aligns with that. That anything that breaks that is evil. So I'm actually physically attracted to and in love with the younger brother. For her, that's evil. 
So she's going to push that away as much as possible and try not to touch that as much as possible. And if she's very, very unintegrated, she'll probably marry the older brother, be unhappy and literally be lying to herself every day of her life. To me, that is evil. And that is why I advocate that people do shadow work because <laughs> she's not integrating her shadow. Um, but you can imagine if I'm the younger brother in this case, and I never get married, my older brother got the girl, I'm just despondent, no other woman suits me. So I'm just gonna like have a secret thing for my brother's wife for the rest of my life. You know, <laughs> Like, first of all, that's like evil in quotation marks in terms of my relationship to my brother. But like those moments where I can tell she looks at me with love, right? Those moments where she just like, maybe like touches my hand a little bit too long. Oh my God, like that is good. That is good. And everything else is evil. You know, like there's no such thing as good and evil and uh, good and evil are relative. And to me, evil is just the thing that either brings an early end to your life or stops the thing that your ego has identified with as it like liking to be. So for many militant vegans, you know, <laughs> carnivores are evil. For um, militant car carnivores, vegans are crazy. Like it's just, there's no, you know, it's just the thing that you like to identify with and you just want to lengthen it. And okay, yeah, and basically without this, there's no, there's no conflict and without conflict, there's no story, without story, there's no meaning and we can't be humans. It's just, it's so interesting to me that like a state of conflict, a state of being in and out of good feelings and bad feelings, going back and forth, back and forth, that's just the human experience, that's it. There's no, then we got married, then we lived happily ever after. You know, I mean, you know that, right? But there's no even like, then I got healed and I loved myself forevermore. I would argue that that doesn't even exist either, you know? Um, Cause that's boring. <laughs> you always want a secret part of you deep in your shadow that like goes, mm, but do you really love yourself? You know, mm, but like, I'm the secret that you're hiding from yourself. And as long as you push me down, there's gonna be internal conflict. So as long as that woman, uh, you know, hides from herself that she's in love with the younger brother, she, she will always have internal conflict. Let's just say she takes one step further. She comes to the realization that um, she's in love with the younger brother. She breaks with the older brother and then she and the younger brother get together. Because the older brother is no longer in the younger brother's life, the younger brother changes. He's not who she fell in love with. So, <laughs> You know, <laughs> that's like a new thing, right? Like it's just, there's always a state of flux and changing and conflict because that's the human experience. Like we never want to always have it be the old school perfect. If we did, it'd be boring. Like that, we like this story. I think we like the story of the two brothers and the woman. Like we like this story because there's always good. There's always evil. No one's winning. No one's losing. There's always everything at once. Any other thoughts, questions, or comments? Sure. I would like to ask, because you were talking a lot about internal conflict, um, 
how can I create internal boundaries for myself? Like, how can I start feeling myself and what is the best for me? Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. So basically what I would argue or say, and I teach this theoretically, is that your internal boundaries have to do with how much your mind is attuned to your body or your intuitive voice or your inner child. Another way to look at it is, is this. So if your mind is addicted and off doing its own thing and it's literally overwhelmed by life, so it has to overeat or do a substance or just fall asleep and kind of be in a comatose state and be a walking dead person. I mean, I think most people fit into one of these three categories a lot. Um, as long as your mind is overwhelmed and literally can't handle life, then it's very hard for you to be attuned to yourself. So when you are attuned to yourself and your body voice or your intuition, then it's really easy to take care of yourself, you could argue. Um, in that way, you can have better internal boundaries. So if you're sleepy, you go to bed, period, rather than staying up all night on social media kind of thing. Um, and if you're hungry, you eat and you eat foods that are good for you, not foods that your mind wants to like compulsively stuff down its face, you know. Um, a lot of us on a healing journey, this is literally it, you know, being more attuned to ourselves and literally taking just better physical care of ourselves. And that physical care of ourselves, of course, expands out to the energy and everything else. If you do this, then you'll have better internal boundaries. And if you do this, you'll probably have a higher vibrational exterior life. Your outside world will reflect back to you how you're taking care of yourself. But I'm going to argue that, remember, there's no such thing as the old school style perfection. If you did that, I think you'd be really bored in some kind of way. <laughs> I think there's always going to be something, like something that's kind of like hard for you or something that um, just you just can't seem to do or get or master. Because if you did, I think that then, okay, you perfectly take care of yourself and everything is fine and um, everything is within your boundaries. You're so spacious that like, you know, uh, someone steals money from you, you're okay. You just know that they're acting out their patterns. Uh, everything's within your boundaries or you cross the street, it's gonna be like me. You're gonna hug the truck and die. You know, there needs to be some kind of like, ah, that's bad. I'm good. That's bad. There needs to be some kind of like artificial sense of separation in order for you to just stay a human, you know, because the more you expand out, which most healing philosophies and spiritual philosophies would probably argue, like the more you expand out, the higher you vibrate and the more happy you'll be and joyful and all these kinds of things healed. But at some point you're going to lose your humanity. <laughs> You have to be a little bit in tension mode, just a little bit in tension mode in order to stay here. And that tension, um, I feel like part and parcel of that is like a little bit of fear, you know, a little bit of fear of the other, even if it's, if that doesn't really exist, I'm not truly separate from the truck. Um, I think we know that on one level, I'm not separate from the truck in some way. It would have been okay. If I let the truck hug me, I probably would have just physically died and started all over again. <laughs> and some part of me, it really doesn't matter because we're all a bunch of vibrations just doing things. But you know, some other part of me probably would have thought that sucked. And some part of you probably would have thought that sucked if I died because I hugged a truck because I thought it was love and I thought I was love, you know. 
So yeah, so you can have better internal boundaries by basically mothering yourself better. And what that means is your mind being attuned to your body. But I still think that there's a limit. And I still think that there's like, again, being a human means there are limits. Being a human means that there's some kind of tension, some sort of like, I don't want to die. Things are scary. There needs to be a, like a little bit of that or else you will literally die because everything, because you just don't care. <laughs> just don't, <laughs> yeah. Is anything coming up? Yeah, I have one question. Um, it's actually the boundary that family sets us in. You know, like my fear, for example, becoming like my mother. You know, when I realize this, oh my God, I'm already on my path becoming like my mother, which gives me a lot of fear and a lot of conflict. I'm sometimes wondering, does this limit me too much or how can I, you know, like, how can I deal with that becoming like my mother? Yeah. Oh, you know, that good. feeling when, you know, I mean, I think a lot of people feel it when like their faces look just like their mothers. You're just like a copy of your mother. You know? <laughs> like, it's like, are you truly separate? Um, I'll tell you what comes to mind. And I don't know if this necessarily satisfied what you had in your head, but I'll tell you what comes to mind. Um, Okay, so the reason why most of us don't feel our boundaries is because we mother ourselves internally the way that our external mothers mothered us externally. So we have this internal copy of how we were raised and that's such a really deep-seated pattern. It's really hard for us to shake it. And for many of us, this is the healing journey we're on. Like however your mom mothered you or another way to say it is however she neglected you and or abused you and or was not attuned to you is how you're doing it to yourself internally right now as an adult. And that's another way to say it. So however your mom was like missing some pieces, you're missing the same pieces internally and you're trying to gain those pieces back and become a more holistic mother for yourself. This is like everyone's healing journey pretty much. I'm not sure that this is a problem because if everyone had the perfect transmission of the divine mother, which seems to be missing for pretty much anyone who was raised in the Western world. If you receive this perfect transmission, then you'd probably be mothering yourself really great right now. And then if you did that, you'd probably have very little internal conflict. And if you have very little internal conflict, then your life is probably really, really boring like that woman who got betrothed to the older brother when in fact she was like in love with the younger brother she created that because she creates her own reality right like we all create our own reality i think we all agree with this to a certain extent she did something in her shadow where she was probably trying to please her dad or not hurt people's feelings or she was doing something silly out of her own habits that got her into a situation where she accidentally got betrothed to someone that was not the right person that's her fault. And she only did that because she was not attuned to herself and she didn't know what her power was, probably because of the culture she was raised in and how her mother mothered her. And so I'm not sure it's a problem that we all have difficulty mothering ourselves because I actually kind of think that the lack of divine mother transmission, that seems really profound and leads to a lot of suffering. 
is also part of the human experience. At least in the dimension that we seem to be experiencing right now. I'm sure there's like, like countless other dimensions where maybe the divine mother transmission was, was more perfect. In which case we'd probably have a less conflicted lifestyle and then whatever meaning you have comes from something that's not stories and overcoming conflict and this kind of thing. So like if we go back to, you know, the tennis match where you're the best tennis player in the world. So you have to double yourself. You have to ha split yourself into two to have an opponent to play with. The more you forget that that person across the line is you, the better for you to have fun playing your own tennis match. Because if you remember that that is you, you won't play hard. Because if they win a point against you, that means you won. So you have to really, really, really forget that you're the same. And you have to really, really, really convince yourself that they're separate from you. So that if they win a point against you, like off your back, you're like, no, I'm gonna come back harder. You know, you have a story, right? There's conflict because you wanna think that when they win, you lose. And when you win, they lose. You need to like convince yourself of that. But deep down, that's not true. We're not separate. I'm not separate from the freaking truck. I'm not, which is why it didn't matter if we smushed together in a hug. Like, we're not separate. So, but if we want to pretend to have this illusion that we're having, we need to really forget and really think we're separate, which is why it's good in quotation marks, good that we don't have the divine mother transmission because it helps us feel like even separate from ourselves. Like, most people have difficulty loving themselves. Most people have a really hard time taking really good care of themselves. They have habits that hurt themselves. They have habits that end their life early that cause stress and overwhelm, eat bad foods, live in shitty places, not be connected to abundance. So they have to like work really hard for little bits of money and life is hard. Most people have habits like this. And I would argue that this isn't necessarily a bad thing because or else where would you get the tension, the tension that makes you, <gasps> I'm a separate water droplet from the rest of the ocean. I mean, if you don't wanna do that separate water droplet thing, you don't have to just go back into the ocean, but that means you're probably dead, right? The idea of you is over. So that means you're probably dead. So that <gasps> I'm separate, stay away from me. This is my boundary. You know, there's some kind of fear over there. <laughs> there's tension, you know, and, and, and that, that, that tension comes from, life is hard. I'm not connected to abundance. You know, my mom hurt me in some kind of way and I'm on a healing journey. All of these things that kind of make us at a lower vibration and we have to like fight really hard to get to high vibration. This is, I would argue, the whole point of the human experience, like some, some form of suffering. Because without like, like literally, with like literal zero suffering, I almost died. <laughs> I, didn't I didn't sense the fear of death at all, like at all, it wasn't even a part of the vocabulary. Uh, could I ask what's coming up for you too? Sure, um, I was wondering like, it 
it makes total sense what what you just explained but then on the other hand I think for me personally I would like to find some sort of balance and because I always go very much like into extremes like very extreme in one direction then very extreme in the other direction um like being in like so much conflict and then suddenly like not being in conflict anymore for a while and like it just seems to go like up and down so much so is there any way you think or you see that you can maintain a little bit more stable balance between um all these waves so what bothers you about being so extreme what do you mean by stable balance could you could you please tell me more sure like like one example like then I go to the Amazon and I'm like cut off from everything, from everyone. And I take care of myself in such a different way. And like I have, or I have had in the end of that time, a lot of conflict. And then I like go and hide somewhere after. And then I don't have conflict anymore because I cut myself up off from everyone. And then like, you know, kind of like going back and then it's, it always just tends to become so extreme in one way or another that then at one point I'm like, oh, I have to take a break. I can't talk to anyone. And I don't know if that makes sense. It makes sense. This is my response. I, I'm not sure you're going to like my response, but we can definitely have a conversation about this. Like, okay. You've probably also heard that everything's a vibration. Like we're all vibrating, we're all a vibration. Let's just say that's your vibration. You know, your vibration is huge waves. Your amplitude is huge. That's just your natural vibration. Like your natural pattern is to have a huge amplitude, much more huge than other people. Let's just say the the milk toast people who have a job, they work for the government, they make their money and they have a dog and they watch their favorite TV program and they eat the same thing every day. Like that's, they have a small amplitude, you know, you have a huge amplitude. That is what your natural internal decisions and attraction into your life in life. That's what creates that. Um, your lack of acceptance of that helps create the internal conflict of like, ah, I hate my life. Why am I doing this? You know, it's like, that's a one more layer. And you're going, oh, I, I want to have a, you know, it, it to me, it's very similar to that woman who is in love with the younger brother, wants to be with the younger brother. As soon as she gets with him, he changes. Because he was, he, the, the version of him that she was in love with was the version that basically had an older brother with a good relationship between the two, the two of them and didn't get the girl. That was the version of the brother she was in love with. So I bet you, if you had a smaller amplitude and you had less extremes, you wouldn't feel like yourself. <laughs> and uh, this makes me kind of go back, you know, like go back to the previous question about like, what if I'm becoming just like my mom and I kind of don't like it. And I'm like, well, I don't know if that's really a problem because we're, 
a lot, a lot of us are a lot like our own moms. And that's just, you, you can, you can say it like this way. Like that's just the flavor of suffering and internal conflict that you chose to experience this time because you had to choose one of them, you know, like you had to choose one of them. And so you just chose that one. And if you do think on some level that we are the water droplet that is not separate from the whole ocean, that's not even true. Then once the water droplet like seizes up and is like, I'm now separate, this is me, everyone else stay away because I don't want to rejoin the, the ocean. I am a separate water droplet. It's almost arbitrary at what point in time, what aspect of the ocean seizes up and becomes that water droplet. It just wants to have a separate experience. So the, 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 you know, do you mean like if we took one water droplet from the coast of Spain versus the water droplet off the coast of Mexico, like it's a different water droplet, but it's still having a fake experience of being separate from the ocean. And if you do this like a gazillion, million, billion, infinite times, the ocean will feel itself being a droplet, all of it, all of it. So at some point we've been each other. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> at, at some point, I've been listening to the version of you being me giving this exact same talk. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> I find this all makes so much sense. And then, you know, like I probably take off the earplugs at some point tonight and then go back into reality or into being alive and being material. And then it's just like, where is it? Where is all this knowledge? This is sometimes also I struggle with, you know, when we talk here, it's like so logical and it's so, yeah, that's exactly, she puts it in words. It's, it's wonderful and I know it. And then you go back into life and it's, you're just a normal human being, you know, struggling and, feeling the boundaries and not feeling one. And this is like, it's nice to be here in this group and experiencing like, or agreeing to what you say, but then there is life. And that's sometimes the struggle with boundaries. I agree. Thank you for sharing that and, and bringing that up. I completely agree with you. And I would argue that that is, um, well, I'd say two things. That is part of the universal amplitude or your amplitude, like going high and being like, oh, we, we get it, we get it, you know, we, we get, we get it. And then kind of going back and being like forgetting, forgetting and getting lost and thinking you're really you, really having this experience. And I wanna say one more time, like that is how you have the best tennis match. You forget your opponent was you splitting himself, you know, you forget, the more you forget, the better. You know, and I would say that the people who are really in quotation marks lost, like some people who are, let's say healers, uh, more spiritual types in quotation marks, they go, oh, the sleep people, you know, the ones eating junk food and like rooting for their football team and like they're asleep, those people, oh, you know, I really think they're doing it like best, like best human ever, you know, because like. They totally forgot, <laughs> they don't even know anything. They don't care about a talk like this, you know? And th that, that is like, I'm me, you're you, you're the 
opposite team. You're bad. I'm good. I'm good. You're evil. Oh, you know, like this intense sense of separation is like the most, uh, the most enjoyable human experience you can argue it probably also has the most suffering though you know that's the thing and so for you kind of going in and out of this like high level view of like spiritual high level viewpoint to like back to human ego spiritual high level that is also part of your amplitude you know that is part of your natural vibration and uh like i said before like there is no such thing as old school style perfection where um, you are always having good feelings. You're always within your boundaries and there's no conflict. Let's just say that at moments during this talk, you're actually experiencing that no conflict. You're like, oh, life is perfect. You know, I'm perfect. Even the trauma from my mother is perfect. You know, like everything's perfect. You, you're there, right? But then that's boring, which is why you forget. You forget so you can feel like, oh, I'm not in consent with my life. You know, life is against my boundaries. The bus being late is against my boundaries. The person saying that is against my boundaries, you know? Like me having been born into a, a family where, where my mother didn't mother me in the way that I wish, and therefore it's hard for me to be connected to abundance. That's not in my boundaries. Like that, that is part of your amplitude. And like, like it's, that is also perfect. And like, that's what helps you be human because I think you'd be really, really bored if you didn't forget. There's, um, I think, I think I've heard this where when people are in jail and they're put in like solitary confinement, I've heard people say, I'd rather be in a jail cell with my mortal enemy than be locked in solitary confinement. So that kind of like nothingness where there's no good, bad, there's no conflict, there's no, there's no nothing is, um, might as well die. There's, there's, that's not the point of the human experience. That respond to does that respond appropriately to what you're bringing up yes it did very much and it's like it's very nice to see to have a picture to that feeling now yeah i've been personally going through an experience recently where it's like no matter what i do or say someone's really pissed off and they're like you're violating my boundaries I'm not okay with what you said or did, you know, like, like you're my violator, you're my perpetrator and I'm the victim. And to me, it feels like shit. I hate this. It, it really doesn't feel good. But the exact same thing I said or did someone else is so grateful for because it was perfect for them. And it was the exact same thing I said or did to two different people. So I can't win. See, I can't win 100% of the time or lose 100% of the time. I'm doing both at the same time with the exact same action. So I'm in and out of my boundaries at the exact same time. I think that is perfect. That is my definition of perfect. Because if everything I said and did landed old school perfect with everyone, everyone loves everything. You know, like it's always within their boundaries. It always makes them feel good. There's never any conflict, you know, then um, I think I'd go crazy. <laughs> I'm going to say this. We didn't really approach this yet. So there is a game with a, in a game that you can play with yourself. 
And what that is, is usually when you're really traumatized and you're not, not really on your healing journey quite yet, or you just started or something like this, your boundaries are extremely tight. Like almost everything's outside of your boundaries. You know, like uh, someone smiling at you, <gasps> what do you want from me? Don't rape me with your eyes. You know, women can have this reaction, especially. So even someone smiling at you can really trigger you, you know? So like when your boundaries are like this, the healing journey is usually to make your boundaries like this, where you can hold more, where more is within your boundaries. So someone steps on your toes, you're like, oh, that hurt. But I know you didn't really mean it. So, you know, it's okay. Not because I'm saying it's okay because I'm ignoring myself, but really because I'm okay with myself. That's, that's the game within the game that you can play. So another way to look at that is, you know, we're playing tennis. Can you play with a moving court <laughs> where the lines keep changing? Because <laughs> th those are actually what boundaries are. Like your physical boundaries change from moment to moment. It, it, it just is what it is. I'm sure something that you liked in college, you don't like anymore and vice versa, right? So like, um, can you play with a moving court? Um, that's the game within the game that you can also play. May I ask something? Um, you know, what if somebody did violate you on purpose? Should you then also just move your boundaries and just feel like that's okay? Or actually, well, if I think about it now, it's probably more that you know the first thing that you explained where you actually set your boundaries and you reflect where your boundaries are then it's not even a subject anymore probably so i definitely look at boundaries okay let's just go back to the healing perspective let's say we're on a healing journey we want to heal ourselves we want to have a better relationship with our own boundaries and we want to have good boundaries uh with our out outside life like we want to be in consent with our life rather than feeling victim to our lives in quotation marks. We don't want to feel like victim to our lives. We don't want to feel like things are happening to us all the time. We will actually want to feel like things are our choice. So let's just say we're, out, we're doing that thing. Then the first thing is uh, feeling your boundaries. Most people, they don't, even, they don't even feel their boundaries. They don't even know what they are. You know. So the first thing is feeling your boundaries. So if you're at this stage and you go, oh, it's okay that you crossed my boundaries, that is idiot compassion. I mean, that's very obvious, right? Well, idiot compassion is a term from Buddhism. So that is like what looks like surface level compassion. That's not true because you're being discompassionate to yourself. So that's not true compassion at all. So saying, oh, it's okay when you don't even know what your boundaries are. So that's a foolishness we can say. So let's say you're at level one. Uh, that's level one, just like, you know, feel your boundaries, just whatever they are. Number two is when you start to be in consent with your life because you can actually know what your boundaries are and communicate them to that side world. And this is when I'm responsible for my feelings and you're responsible for your feelings. And if you didn't tell me what your boundaries were, it's not my fault in quotation marks if I put my coffee cup on your uh, altar because you never said to not put my coffee cup on your altar. It's your fault in some way you could say. So this is all, uh, we are very, very separate. You are in charge of your own life. The third stage is, you don't have to tell me 
not to put my coffee cup on your altar. I feel you. I'm closer to the disillusion. I'm closer to the oneness. I'm closer to the water droplet feeling kind of okay feeling one with the ocean. I can sense that this is an altar. You don't have to explain it to me. I know not to put my fucking coffee cup on it. You know, another way to look at this is I see you're closed. I see you're closed, more closed than you need to be. And I'm going to on purpose, maybe with your prior permission, that's another conversation. Um, on purpose, I'm gonna cross your boundary because it will open you. And I'll give an example. Like a long time ago, I was in high school and I had a friend and for some reason, I don't know why, maybe it was intuitive. I asked her, can I please pet your head? And she said, no. And then I pet her head anyway. <laughs> Technically, this is a complete violation of the second stage, right? I asked permission, she said no, and I do it anyway. But she really liked it and she needed more. So she was taking care of her boundaries worse than I could sense and feel for her and I broke her boundaries anyway. Went straight to the third stage and then she realized, holy shit, I needed, I needed my head petted. She wanted like more, like it's like I couldn't give her enough. So she was taking shit care of herself and I could take better care of her based on my sense of her. And you could say that this would have been the case if your mother mothered you perfectly in the old school sense of the word. And uh, this would be, you know, if you had in quotation marks, you know, this old school sense, perfect relationships with other people where they sense you better than you sense yourself and you can trust them to open you. And so at this stage, if someone crosses your boundary, maybe that's okay, you know, and you can say, hey, thanks for opening me. But I doubt it's going to be like that. You know, that's a very advanced practice as you can, it's a very advanced practice. Um, and so, so um, at, for most people in the world who are doing some kind of boundaries work, what I say is if someone proves themselves to be untrustworthy, you literally need to cut them out of your life, like cut them out of your life. Because if you say yes to more interactions with them, you're, you're putting a spell out to the universe, like literally like a magical spell. And you're saying to the universe, I'm okay with people violating my boundaries. And you're just going to attract that again and again and again. And the other thing is they probably crossed your boundaries because you do it to yourself internally. You know, they reflect your internal boundaries. And I think we also know this, our exterior world reflects our interior world. And so it's very similar to the woman who is in love with the younger brother, but she's betrothed to the older brother and she's lying to herself right? The only way that's possible is because she was lying to herself and she goes, no, 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 no. I'm totally in love with the older brother. Then she probably has, you can just imagine, I'm sure healers out there, you know what I mean? She probably has like spiritual illness because she's lying to herself all the time. She has manifestation of disease in her body because of the energy of lying to herself all the time because she lacks integrity. And she probably thinks she's a trustworthy person. You know, if you give her money and say, hey, can you please keep this for me? I'll come back tomorrow for the money. They'll probably be there tomorrow. So she doesn't think she lacks integrity, but deep down inside somewhere, she totally lacks integrity. You know? And so that lack of integrity will be reflected in the outside world. And there, maybe she might keep your money for you perfect, but other people steal, like her, her, her maid steals from her or something like that. Like, I bet you that is happening, right? And she's like, well, how, why, the maid is bad. I am good. No, 
you know, like she needs to uh, own her own evil. And in this case, her own evil is I'm actually in love with the wrong brother. I'm actually in love with a brother that I'm not betrothed to. That's why it feels wrong. If she owned that, which is her own evil, then the maid wouldn't need to act out and steal from her to reflect to her her unintegrated parts. Other thoughts, questions, or comments? Can you talk a bit more about the flexibility of boundaries? Like you were mentioning before, like, yeah, they, they can change basically any second. Like, how do you keep kind of an integrity with your boundaries if they change all the time like if you communicate something to someone and then in the next moment you're like oh no no actually no like how, what would you do in a situation like this like how do you deal with it because it's so fluctuating no yeah no you're right so I don't know if I have the exact same thing in mind that you do like we might have different um constructs in our mind at this moment, but I'll answer it from the place that I'm thinking. So yes, boundaries change from moment to moment. Expect them to change, expect them to change. So uh, expect that your boundaries will never, ever, ever be stable, that you will make promises you cannot keep because you just don't feel like it later. Um, and that uh, and if you respect other people's boundaries, you have to allow them to do the same and understand that boundaries are arbitrary. Like that bus schedule is arbitrary. It's hard for you to make it on time every single day, day after day after day, because life is more chaotic than that naturally. So that like one pointed 3 p.m. bus thing is, is meant for you to work around, but you'll F it up a lot just because like the natural flux of life is not so, sta is not so static. So, so, when you're beginning on your boundaries journey and you're just noticing how your boundaries change from time to time and you're like this, like you're like a small tight circle. So everything's with outside of your boundaries. You just say, no, yes, no, yes, change, left, right. That's gonna drive someone else crazy. So uh, that's okay, <laughs> drive them crazy. But they may not really wanna interact with you that much because they might want to interact with someone a little bit more on their level with boundaries which is like knowing that it's gonna be no, yes, no, yes, left, right, left, right. Just knowing that that's the case. I prefer interacting with people who can hold a lot of space. Their boundaries are bigger, like it's a bigger circle. So even if I accidentally step on their toes, even if just because I continued doing what was within their boundaries last week, you know, and the boundaries changed, which is fine, but I continue doing it. And then this week I stepped on their toes before they realized that their boundaries changed. And before they realized that they could say something to me, they only realized it because of the feeling of the stepping on the toes. I'd rather interact with someone who goes, wow, that didn't feel so good. I know that Sugi didn't mean anything. In fact, she's within the boundaries I stated last week. I just have to say something now and they're responsible for their own reality when they can say something without like reacting and be like, why did you do that? You know, you're bad, I'm good. You're evil, I'm good. Um, I prefer interacting with people who just can 
tolerate uncomfortable experiences because their inner mother isn't so freaking addicted. Their inner mother is very tuned to their inner child. So they can um, state what they feel immediately. So I'm safe with them. So I can be safe interacting with them. And also they can just tolerate uncomfortable feelings because all addictions come, this is my theory, all addictions come from overwhelm. Like your mind literally just can't handle your own existence. So you're overwhelmed and you have like zero, you're already at zero. You can't handle discomfort. So you have to do something artificial to cease the discomfort, like, like the social media, like the eating, like the substances. Um, it's an artificial thing. It's not really ceasing the discomfort. It's checking you out from feeling your body. The discomfort is always remaining. It's not minus, you know, and you're not doing anything active to make it minus in terms of discomfort. So the discomfort remains and you're distracted. That's addiction. And so people who are not addicted, people who are less addicted, people who are working to really uh, be able to tolerate uncomfortable feelings. And so in Buddhism, we call this cool boredom. Like that's, that is the quality you cultivate through your meditation practices. Like the billy goat is like eating on the mountain. You know, there's a fire on the mountain. You know, there's lightning on the mountain. The mountain is just there. And to me, that's very much like the quality of being Saturn here on earth in a human body. Do you care that all these little water droplets around you who are really part of the ocean, but think they're separate are like, ah, you crossed my boundary. No, no, no. Like, do you care? Or you just know that that's going to happen. You know, <laughs> like they're just freaking out because minds do that. That is the quality of mind to freak out, you know? Um, like that's literally the definition is like to be in tension. So, um, yeah, so that's my response to what you said. I don't know if that's exactly what you had in mind. Yeah, that definitely pinned it down. Thanks. So we have about 12 more minutes. I wanted to ask, so if I theoretically identify as an empath, as someone that just is like feels a lot of feelings for other people. Yes. <laughs> um, how do you best like communicate boundaries without like, without feeling that you are not like without feeling that you're stepping on someone else's toe maybe because I, I can see how an empath would feel that when it happens. Okay, this is a really juicy topic. I could talk about this for the whole other topic. Okay, so this is my definition of an empath. You can take it or leave it. An empath benefits socially from not feeling their boundaries and in fact, merging with the other and feeling and expressing the shadow of the other. So let's go back to the woman who's in love with the younger brother, betrothed to the older brother. In her shadow, in her shadow is the love of the younger brother. 
So if she had a best friend or a dog or someone close to her that was an empath, that empath would absorb this like, well, I'm in love with the younger brother thing. Maybe have an affair with the younger brother or do something, act out in some kind of way that like she couldn't, you know? So we usually start this with our mothers where our mothers have some kind of narcissistic quality where she can't take care of herself and she can't take care of us. So we have to take care of her for her. And then we have to take care of us in the way that she just neglected. Um, and so in many ways we become the shadow of our mother. So if our mother is hyper controlling, uh, hyper like judgmental, you're never good enough. She's picking on your appearance and your weight. You became this like shame filled person who believes that she isn't good enough that agrees to this behavior of her mother. And so that the mother's ego can last longer. Remember the ego likes to last longer. So in that way, you, um, you kind of complete, you complete the incompleteness of your mother. If your mother is a lazy baby who's laying on the couch and life is too hard for her when she needs help doing basic tasks and you become like her little lawyer and boyfriend, that's the other thing that people do. You know, you take care of all the things for her because she's too depressed and she's laying in bed. You, you become like this parentified child, you're a straight A student, super control freak, you know, OCD, right? Like this, you, you understand these archetypes. So this is when it started. So to me, the two forms of empath are the control freak, going to keep a loser type parasite around who doesn't want to heal so that like they'll never leave me because they always need me. It's like a mutual addiction or codependence. Or it's like the victim type, I'm not good enough, I have low self-esteem, uh, my boyfriend cheats on me and I tolerate it. You know, So those are the two archetypes. And often it's the same person because empaths are empaths, you know? And so when you're young, you're, you're imprinted this thing by your mother where you don't feel your boundaries very well. And then you become an empath um, as, a, as, a, as a means of gaining social approval. You stop, start to not feel your boundaries because the social gain is your mom won't reject you. So you learn this, this learned behavior. Being an empath is learned behavior. It's not a personality trait. It's nothing ingrained. It's something that you can train yourself out of. And when you're older, you start to attract narcissists. And if you're a woman, most likely it's a narcissistic man. And then you just like tolerate this all over again. And some people, they never graduate into sexual maturity and they just stay stuck with their mom their whole lives. That also happens. Whether you're a man or a woman, you just like stay, stay stuck with your mom, even though you're literally in your 40s or 50s and, and your mom is much older, you just are still the child to the, to the mother. So then what you're doing is you are forming relationships with people who take advantage of the fact that you don't feel your boundaries and they don't want you to feel your boundaries. Because if you started to feel your boundaries, then they couldn't take advantage of you anymore. And so you're going to find either the narcissist who shame you and put you down and reinforce your sense of low self-value or the narcissist who would like play at being the victim. Oh, I need help with really basic tech. The kinds of adults who can't pay rent and do laundry. This kind of adult, you know they exist, Somehow the empaths find them and make them into their romantic partners. So, so when you have these kinds of people in your life, 
um, I'm going to question, do you want to feel your boundaries? Because if you are not uh, capable of leaving this kind of relationship, which probably means you did kind of some kind of work with your mom. So if you didn't do any work with your mom, she's there somewhere. And then you have a boyfriend on top of that. Is it going to be really hard to leave the boyfriend and this kind of relationship if you didn't do work with the mom, you know? And so are you ready to leave this kind of relationship? Are you ready to do work with the mom? Because if you're not ready to do either, then I doubt you have motivation to feel your boundaries. I doubt you have motivation to, to even know what you want. And therefore, we can't even get to the communication stage. That's literally impossible. And so you have this um, you know, self-motivated, I don't wanna feel my boundaries because I don't wanna lose the partner and I don't wanna lose my mom. And this is many adults who identify as empath. So uh, what this does is basically you stay at a low level of consciousness where you are food source for someone else's, what I call someone else's entity. They are minus an energy themselves. They're not full. So they have to eat off of you. So then you become minus an energy yourself. So you're not full. So in your shadow, in your shadow, you eat off of other people. So you're the narcissist in other ways. That's always the case, always the case, always the case. So you think you're the empath, I'm the empath, but you're the narcissist in many other cases, believe me. And if you don't own that, then you are the woman lying to herself and not having integrity. Um, how, or you can give us a trick how we can be certain that we do actually feel our boundaries. You know, you now talking about um, nar narcissism and your own boundaries and everything. I feel like I have my own boundaries, but when you speak like that, it's like, wow, maybe I don't. <laughs> how can, can I be certain? Yeah, and you can fool yourself too because you have yeah. your own inner narcissistic mother who has wants. So let's say... For me to be in my boundaries right now, I have to stuff my face full of Cheetos and pizza and ice cream. You know, for me to be in my boundaries right now, I have to veg out in front of the TV and, you know, not look at my phone. You know, that's a kind of narcissism that is due to overwhelm. Is that really within your boundaries or are you feeding the inner narcissist? You know, so you can trick yourself. Maybe what's actually within your inner child's boundaries in that moment is to go outside and go hiking and go on a green juice fast for three days or something, but you can't even feel that because you're not attuned to yourself. So, so, you know, let's just even say that. What are boundaries? To me, you can define boundaries in so many different ways. Uh, in the context of this little Q&A for this portion right now, where I just mentioned the inner narcissistic mother and the inner child, I will say that your boundaries help you uh, be in your highest vibrational self or on your spiritual mission. You can see it that way. So that means physical health, obviously. Uh, that means like energetic cleanliness, which means no narcissist in your life. No one who violates your boundaries, you don't invite them back for another interaction. That's not energetic hygiene, you know? 
um, also a self-attunement, attunement with yourself, where, where your mind and your decision maker, the one who makes plans and the one who makes the decision, yes, I will purchase that item or I won't, is only serving your intuition, your inner child. And your inner child's like, I have to take this training. I have to study with this person. I have to eat this food. I have to go outside today. But if you have this overwhelmed inner mother who just needs to veg out for five days eating junk food, obviously she can't accomplish what the body wants. So there has to be some level of attunement and that level of attunement is probably un impossible unless you have some level of healing, you know? So some of this is like literally impossible if you're too, too low. So if you're within your boundaries, I would say that you are listening to your spiritual GPS system. You're listening to your intuition. And to me, intuition is your body voice. Intuition is your inner child. Intuition is your spiritual GPS system and it is pleasurable. So if you're in your pleasure, then you are probably within your boundaries. But there's that other thing where you can trick yourself. You're not in your pleasure, but you think you're in your pleasure. It's that woman going, I'm so happy. I'm going to plan my wedding to the older brother. My dad is happy. My mom is happy. The whole kingdom is happy. I'm happy. People are doing this all the time. So she's going off track. You know, she's not doing her spiritual mission. She's not, um, her inner child is completely being ignored and not attuned to. And this is most people. So be careful. Are you listening to your inner child's voice or are you listening to your inner mother's narcissistic overwhelm? And uh, so there might be a surface level kind of in quotation marks pleasure. That's not really pleasure. It's more like compulsive behavior or in the moment, temporary relief of discomfort or pain. So that's a huge difference. And the pleasure of being within your boundaries is very similar to a child playing. You know, it's very similar to like just a dog having fun running around in the yard. It's that kind of pleasure. It's not necessarily sexual pleasure, though it could be. And a lot of people feel a little bit uncomfortable with pleasure in general. And here's the other thing. It's direct pleasure on your body. It's not the pleasure of like watching someone else enjoy something you did for them. Direct pleasure, direct pleasure. That is also very difficult for people. They'd rather watch someone else do something that they did for them. They're more comfortable with what I'd call indirect pleasure. So uh, those are some guidelines. Thank you very much. Oh, you're very welcome. Okay, so we're out of time. I'm curious if you could both just tell me the big thing you learned today, even if it's a couple of things or the big ahas, um, what you're taking with you. Oh, well, for me, it was really that last part, you know, realizing, oh, yeah, exactly. That's how I can feel uh, my boundaries. Mm -hmm. This is how I can really see them and feel them right. And the other thing is like that we are all one, you know, like the thing with my mother, the fear of becoming my mother. I am my mother. And this inner conflict is actually bringing me forward in my spirituality. These are the two ahas that I will take 
within the others, actually. <laughs> Thank you. So for me, I really love this visualization of the tennis court so much. Like it makes so much sense, like that the lines are your boundaries and like how small are they? How big are they? How flexible are they? Like it just, because I'm a very visual person. So that really helped me to like, really like visually see the boundary, like how you explained it. So I love that as well as the droplet of the ocean that suddenly created this ego thing and wanted to be separate, like not to forget that in the end we are one, but the, the struggle and the drama that we create basically makes our life valuable. <laughs> and keeps us alive (laughs) yes I mean another way to look at it is like you know that sacred family altar you have the threat that someone would um, disrespect it is part of what makes it valuable I'm like as soon as something is a thing the the anti thing must be birthed, you know, just like as soon as a baby is born, which we go, oh, good, new life. The death of the baby is also born. At some point, that baby will also die. So like, so the anti thing must also be born. So um, then you can play tennis, you know? (laughs) And uh, I was just going to say, I didn't, I held it back for some reason, but it's like, Yes, you are your mother. I am also your mother. And you've been, me. you know, it's like, yes. <laughs> okay, so thank you both for being here today. And so for those of you who are not in the room with me, if this was of value to you, then I encourage you to make a conscientious energy exchange and tell the universe you want more talks, more programming just like this you can make a donation at paypal.me slash avatar. And what that does is it doesn't just make an energy exchange with this programming, but it literally tells the universe you want more of this vibration in your life. All right, see you next time.